Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Today, we're coming to a conclusion of the book of Jonah. It's a small book in the, the back part of the Old Testament written by a guy by the name of who? Who wrote Jonah? Jonah. Yeah, it's not a trick question. Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. And uh, here's kind of a quick summary of the highlights of the story if you've missed out on any part of it. I'll kind of set the stage for what we're going to see today. In Jonah chapter 1, God spoke to Jonah, okay? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what God told Jonah to do, remember Jonah was a prophet. That was his kind of job description. He, he was a mouthpiece for the word of God to his people. And so God said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go not to your people, the Hebrew Jewish people. I want you to go to this wicked city of Nineveh, these Assyrian people. And I want you to preach a message of repentance to them because I'm getting ready to judge them and my wrath and, and anger is getting ready to be poured out on the city. I need you to go preach to them and tell them to repent. So Jonah, instead of accepting that ex- assignment and obeying, he got on a boat going in the exact opposite direction from the word and the will of the Lord. And he went to this, he tried going to this little place called Tarshish. And on the journey there, God sends a storm, rocking the boat. It's about to capsize. And in that moment, Jonah surrenders to the Lord and tells the sailors, throw me overboard. This is because of me that we're all enduring this storm. So they throw Jonah into the sea where God has a great fish waiting to swallow him up. That's Jonah chapter 1. He spends three days, three nights in there. Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah speaks to the Lord. And he has a moment of repentance Not entire repentance, we're going to see today, like his heart hasn't really caught up to his external actions, but at least outwardly he's like, okay, God, I'll obey. And and so he kind of has this moment of repentance, and he turns back to the Lord from this dark place of inside the belly of the fish. Jonah chapter 2 ends by the fish barfing Jonah up on the shore, and then Jonah chapter 3, now God speaks through Jonah. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. We see last week, and we're going to see even more today, he didn't do it with a good attitude, but he at least externally obeyed God's word, and he went to Nineveh, and he preached probably a very short message with a bad attitude, and he basically said, yet 40 days in the city of Nineveh, shall be destroyed basically god is getting ready to bring judgment on your city if you don't if you don't repent and what we saw is an amazing revival broke out and the people of nineveh from the top the greatest all the way down to the packer fans uh, they all repented like they all got their heart right with jesus okay And, and so here's here's the last verse from from last week just a little bit of recap and then we'll get into this week here's the last verse jonah 3 verse 10 We ended the story last week with this. It said, when God saw what they did, the people of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, so this is this good news or bad news, church? It's the good news, but try telling Jonah that. Okay, so now we're going to turn the page into Jonah chapter 4, and now we're going to see God and Jonah have this conversation We're going to get a snapshot into the heart of Jonah, and I'm calling this message today Lessons from an Unhappy Preacher, because Jonah's not a happy guy, and yet I believe there's some lessons from his life that God wants us to know, and God is going to say some things to us, and we're going to get a little glimpse into the heart of God, and we're going to understand that God's heart is not Jonah's heart. 
Okay, so Jonah chapter 4, we're going to make our way through the last chapter here today. That's, that's where we ended. There's this great revival taking place, and here's verse 1 says this, but it, what? Displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was what, church? He was angry. Now just pause the story. We got to get our arms around this for just a minute. Imagine, I know some of you are too young to remember the name Billy Graham, but, but just try and go there. Billy Graham was this amazing evangelist. He just passed away not too long ago. And he kind of was like, his thing was he'd go into a city and have a revival and preach. And at the end of every message, he shares the gospel. He has the altar call. Imagine someone like Billy Graham going and preaching a message. And we're going to see later on in the end in the, of the chapter, there's 120,000, at least 120,000 people in Nineveh. Imagine the altar is packed with 120,000 repentant people and this evangelist, this speaker that's been this mouthpiece for God. Imagine him standing here going, this is the part that makes me so angry. I hate this part. This is where they all come forward and repent and get right with God and it bugs me because I want to see God rain down fire and judgment on them and he always forgives them. I hate this part of the service. I mean, it's like unthinkable. It's such a disconnect from the heart of God. This ought to be the part where Jonah's like, Lord, this is so amazing that I got to be a part of this. But actually, no, he was angry. And it goes on in verse 2, it says this, listen to what he prayed to the Lord. Like, all these people are repenting. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew that you are, listen to what he said, here's what he knows about God. You are a gracious God, and you're merciful, you're slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster, and I don't like it. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is Jonah being a little overdramatic here? Just kill me now, Lord. And, And it says, and the Lord said, look at this question. God is asking Jonah, Hey, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Let's, let's, let's check your anger for a minute here, Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? So I got a question, and it's rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand, but here's the question. How many of you have ever been, or maybe even right now at this moment, presently, are angry with God? Have you ever been angry with God about things? I think it's okay to admit, yes, I, I have been. Um most of the time that anger has been misplaced. Jonah's angry with God. Here's the first lesson from the unhappy preacher. If you want to write this down, if you've got your handouts and you're following along with me, lesson number one is this. I need to pay attention to my anger and despair. What is it that makes me angry? What is it that makes me sad and depressed? Like, we need to drill down into that when, in those moments where I recognize I'm angry about something We need to just pause and go, okay, why am I angry? What am I angry about, and why am I angry? Because I would tell you, like, in this moment, Jonah is angry about something that God is actually glad about. And and that, that ought to be like a warning sign on the dashboard of our soul. If I'm angry about something that God is actually glad about, it shows a huge disconnect from my heart to the heart of God. There's a problem, and it's not on God's end. It's on mine. What makes you angry? We get angry over some of the dumbest things sometimes. Sometimes we despair because we're listening to voices that aren't even true. It's not the Holy Spirit speaking these lies into our our life, but we listen to other voices. 
And we start believing him and we get so down and discouraged and in despair. That's where Jonah's at. He's got something seriously going on. By the way, did you know, if you want to jot down this reference, Ephesians 4.27. We're not going to read it, but if you go look it up, it's going to tell you, be angry and sin not. Did you know it's possible to be angry and not to sin? So the teaching is not that it's, it's wrong to be angry. God gives us that emotion of anger. We serve a God who displays at times anger. Anger is a God-given emotion that, that produces energy in me to deal with the problem. So anger in and of itself is not wrong. It, the question is, are we angry about the right things? Can I just take a little side note and tell you something I always get angry about every October and November? And if you thought I was going to say the snow and the cold, the, the answer is yes, but that's not righteous indignation. That's me being angry about something God apparently is happy about, okay? I'll tell you something that really makes me righteously angry this time of year. It's when I drive around my city and my state, and I see my friends and neighbors and people, and I'm grateful we live in a country where we have the right to speak into the political process and elect officials. But what breaks my heart and goes beyond just sadness to a point of anger is when I see people who claim to know and love Jesus Christ putting signs in their yard, supporting political politicians and officials that every chance they get they are going to vote for the destruction of unborn human life i get angry i get angry about that because friends hear me church this is not a matter of political idea one versus another republican versus democrat this is a matter of god's truth and holiness and righteousness i promise if you are a part of that party, if you're a part of that, that, that group that is actively seeking to put people in positions of power who every chance they get will vote for and support the destruction of unborn human life, you are aligning yourself outside of God's word and his will. That is not a political statement. That is a moral statement from the word of God. I get angry about that when I see people have such a callous view toward human life. And you can walk out of here saying John's endorsing candidates. No, he's not. John is telling God's people, you go get educated on where these people stand, and then you vote your values accordingly. Amen? I get angry about that stuff, and I think it's righteous indignation. Now, I'll still be nice to you if I see you in the store, but I completely disagree with the lifestyle, the, the worldview of the people you're trying to put in office. If you're putting people in office that align themselves completely contrary to the word of God, there's a righteous indignation, but I, I promise, I wish I could tell you all the times I'm angry, it's all holy, righteous indignation. No, it's not. Sometimes I get mad because of selfish, petty little things. And, and here we see Jonah, it's not even selfish and petty. Jonah's anger is coming because he is on the exact opposite side of where God is. Check this out. He, he quotes Exodus. He quotes an Old Testament passage of Scripture because he's basically saying, God, here's the deal. I know who you are. So here's what I want you to know. Jonah has a right theology of God. He understands who God is. And the problem is he just doesn't like it. Here's what he's quoting. I'm going to go back and actually read the Old Testament passage. It's kind of a popular Old Testament passage of Scripture where, where God revealed something about himself to Moses. It's found in Exodus chapter 34, and it's verses 6 and 7. So here's what God says to Moses. Now, this is God telling us something about who he is. Here, here's what it says. It says, the Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed. This is what God wants you to know about himself. 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. That's another word for sin. Forgiving sin and transgression and sin. There you go. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Here's what's happening in this moment. Jonah knows who God is. He just doesn't like him in this moment. Jonah has a good theology. He has a good understanding of who God is, and he has a bad heart. God, I know who you are, and I have a problem with who you are. God, I don't really want you to bring forgiveness to these wicked Ninevite people. I don't really like them that much. As a matter of fact, I kind of hate them. And God, I, I want you to be okay with my people. I just don't want you to be okay with those people. Jonah has a bad heart. He's got some heart issues. And real quick, I just want to identify two of them and have you write them down. So what's his heart problem? If we had the ability to put the little 12 lead monitor on his, on his spiritual heart, what is it going to reveal? Two things from this passage. Number one, if you want to write this down, Jonah's heart revealed racism. See, racism is simply this. It's when I think that God either does or should place a higher value on my race than any others or above all others at least my race is superior to everything that's outside of my race true or false is is that a god statement like is is does god feel that way about one race over another true or false false he does not also can we just have a quick agreement on something that we are not born into this world with a racist heart did you know that let me be clear, we're born into this world with a sinful heart, like we're born as depraved little sinners, we're in cute bundles of packages, but, but so the, the seeds are there, the potential to have a racist heart, but we're not born as little racists into this world. Racism is something that is caught and taught by the culture, by the parents, by the friends and influences around us. And as we grow older, we start to notice differences, and we start to not just notice and appreciate those differences, we start to take sides and, and, and start to, to take opposite positions from those differences. And, and I want to say this, this, it's a deep issue, but one thing that, that leads to racism is this in our hearts, it's when my hurt becomes hate. That's not what's behind all racism, but it's one thing that, that leads us into that. It's where there's been a real hurt that's taken place. And that hurt ultimately leads to hate. Now, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to come against Jonah's racist heart toward the people of Nineveh. That they were Assyrians. Jonah was a Hebrew. He hated them. It's wrong. There's no, there's no like justification for his racist heart toward these people. But I at least want to explain it. Just so you know, like if you study history, the Assyrian people on multiple occasions tried to utterly annihilate and destroy Jonah's people. It's very possible that Jonah grew up in a culture where he had learned to fear and hate the Assyrian people because of atrocities they had committed against his people. You see what I'm saying? The hurt can become hate. But the bottom line is, here is Jonah, a man of God sent to deliver the heart of God to these people, and he hates these people. Essentially, he wants God to deal with his people differently than he deals with those people. Okay, so that's one thing. He's got this racist thing going on. And then secondly, Jonah's heart reveals a religious spirit. If anybody ever tells you that you have a religious spirit, they're not complimenting you. Or at least you shouldn't take it as a compliment. 
think of or think of the New Testament Pharisees, okay, when you hear this word religious spirit. And you can write this phrase down if you want on your notes. It's not on your screen, but here's what a religious spirit says. Okay, you ready? A religious spirit says, I want law for you and grace for me. What do we mean by that? The law is the rules. And God did give us some rules. He gave us 10 big ones back in Exodus. They're called the Ten Commandments, and it's the law. And here's what we know is that none of us are are capable of following the law. Like even when we try really hard to be good, ultimately we violate it. And, and we know that, that if we violate even just one part of the law, we're guilty of breaking all of it, right? So when we say law, religious people love the rules and they love to beat you up with the rules. And every time you step out of the, the line and, and mess up the rules, they want to just throw the law on you and go, oh, you broke the rule, rule breaker, rule breaker, sinner, sinner, sinner. But then when they step across the line, they go, oh, time out. I need God's grace and forgiveness. Law for you, grace for me. If you're married to that person, that's a really difficult place to be because they want to beat you up when you cross the line and mess up. But when they make a mistake, they want forgiveness and grace extended to them. That's what religious people want. Religious people essentially say, I don't want God to be consistent with all of his people. I want God to play favorites with with my my people. Because I understand why God could give me grace and mercy and forgiveness. I don't understand how he could give it to 120,000 Ninevites. Ew. That's what's going on inside of Jonah's heart. And so God's going to like have this conversation with Jonah, and we're going to drill down into this a little bit, okay? Because he's trying to teach him this lesson that, look, Jonah, my heart is for all people, not just your people. So the conversation continues. Watch this. Verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in it. He sat in it. Let's try this again. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly what? Glad because of the plant. Let me explain what's happening here. Hold on. I gotta grab a chair, a little prop. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, stop talking. It's time to preach. Jonah goes up to a hillside outside of the city in Nineveh and he takes his lawn chair Remember his message to them was 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And now all he's got to do is sit back and wait. Bring it, Lord. I'm, bring the fireworks, man. I'm sitting here. It's kind of in a desert type region. So he's sitting out in this sun. And then it says in God's grace, like God provides this plant to give shade. It's even better. Like God just gave me a nice shaded area to sit and watch the hellfire and brimstone. Bring it, Jesus. I can't wait. Jonah's sitting here waiting for the sulfur to just rain down on these people. And in God's grace, he gives him this shade to like, hey, just be comfortable while you're sitting there. Now, God's getting ready to take Jonah to school and teach him a lesson using this plant as this great object lesson, right? But again, what does that say about the heart of Jonah? Like, he's eager. He's not hanging around in Nineveh, building relationships with the people that have repented. He is up, out of there. i got to get away from these people, and I can't wait to see what God's getting ready to do. Lord, hit them. Just make kindling out of all of them. Women, children, burn them all. He's got some issues, doesn't he? Now, watch this conversation. Verse 7 says, But when dawn came the next day, God, this is almost comical to me. Did you know the Bible's funny in some places? It says God appointed a what? A worm. 
that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. He's a suicidal guy. Once again, he's like, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? You can almost hear his tone in this too. He's like, he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Okay, this is almost comical. And by the way, just one other little thing I want to point out to you. Notice up to this point how everything else in the story under God's created universe has been obedient to his word. Jonah has not been obedient. God tells a storm, go rock the boat. The storm obeys. God sends the fish. The fish obeys. Now there's a worm that's going to be obedient. God appoints the worm and says, hey, go do your thing. And then now God sends this scorching east wind. And once again, the weather obeys the Lord, right? But here's Jonah. Like he's having his little subtle protest of the Lord. He's having this little sit in with God. And so it's like, hey, look, a worm. And then boom, this plant dies. And now he's sitting here in the hot baking sun and he's just fuming in anger. And we get this sense in Jonah of entitlement. Like, he wasn't grateful for the one day that he had the plant that provided him shade. He felt entitled to 38 more days of God's grace in his life while he sat and waited for God to pour out judgment on these people. Like, you get, this is kind of like, we're just, by the way, we're just about to the end of Jonah. The story's almost done. Does anyone else get the sense, like, we're not heading to the part where, and he live happily ever after? Like, that's not coming. I'll just give you the heads up. Like, this is a really tense kind of thing here. Jonah is just waiting on the hillside, waiting for God to bring out his wrath. And then God asks him, do you, Jonah, let, let's talk about why you're angry. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yes. I, I'm, I'm so mad because I love the plant and you took it away from me. Now watch the lesson. Here's the second thing. God's getting ready to take Jonah to school. And, and it says this, verse 10. And the Lord said, hey, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You loved the plant, didn't you, Jonah? It was a good plant. You did nothing for it. I gave it to you. It was here today. It was gone tomorrow. Now, Jonah, watch this. He says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? And also, again, kind of comical, so much cattle. It's like God is saying, Jonah, think about the cows. Like, what are we going to do with all this barbecue if we rain down all this fire on Nineveh? It's like God is kind of almost having a little fun with Jonah. Like, you take yourself so seriously. You don't take me that seriously or my commands that serious, but you're so consumed with yourself. Here's, here's the lesson if you want to write this down. Do you get the point of what God is trying to say to Jonah? Here's the question. I must care more about people than things. I don't know why I have a question mark behind that, because that should be a period, not a question mark. I think initially I was saying, do I care more about people or things? That's what God is saying to Jonah. Hey, Jonah, you care more about this plant than about 120,000 people. And remember a, a minute ago where I told you that a lot of commentators say when, when he uses that phrase, there's more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. Here, here's what some people think. Some people are saying that could be he's referring to just the number of children in Nineveh. Because you go up and ask a you know, five-year-old which is right or left, and they're like, I, I don't know. But, so it could be that. And if that's the case, this city's even greater than 120,000 people if that's just the kids. It also could be a reference to the fact that, hey, Jonah, like, these people don't even know morally. They are so lost, they don't know their right from their left. They, are so, they have no clue of who I am 
and what I need from them and what I'm asking of them. But here's the point that God is saying to Jonah. Jonah, your heart is so sullen and angry over the loss of a plant while you sit back and celebrate the destruction of all these people and the cows. Jonah, I I care way more about the people of Nineveh than I do your plant. It begs the question, church, do I care more about people or stuff? Again, remember, I want to tie this back into where I said a minute ago, we need to like evaluate our anger. So, So often in life we get wound up, stressed out, angry, frustrated about things that when we really drill down into it, it isn't even about people half the time. It's about stuff. It's about money. It's about things. It's about stuff. It's about stuff that's not even going to last past our lifetime. And we care so often so much more about the little minor details. And God's saying, do you notice all these people that have eternal souls that are in jeopardy of spending all eternity separated from me, experiencing my wrath and my judgment. I didn't put you on this earth for stuff. By the way, I want to speak to Jonah's, like his suicidal statements where he's just like, just kill me now, Lord. Uh, uh, Some of you might think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Let me tell you how it does apply to us in modern-day Christianity. Sometimes I hear Christians talk this way. We basically say we look around at the big bad world we live in and all the evil and wickedness and darkness and we say this kind of thing like, Lord, just take me out of here. Just hurry up and come back, Jesus. Now that might sound like kind of spiritual, like, oh, I can't wait to go be with Jesus. But when you really drill down into that, what we're saying is, get me out of here. I'm one of the good people and bring your judgment on all these bad people. It's kind of how we're just like, we get really fascinated with end time, you know, theology and we're just like god get me off of this rock they call the earth and then so you can make the rest of the world a a big fire pot see we'd never exactly take it to there but what if what if god instead wanted us to view our life like this i have you on this earth right now for a season for a purpose because there's people that are just as lost as the people of Nineveh, and you are my messenger to them. Stop running away from the call that I've put on your life to deliver the word of the Lord to the people in your world. And stop praying for an early release out of here because I have an assignment for you to speak on my behalf and to deliver the word of the Lord because my heart for these wicked people around you, for the Taliban, for ISIS, for Congress, for all of these people... My my plan is to save them. My plan is to bring grace and forgiveness and mercy into their life. And what if I wanted to use you to do it? See, that's the lesson that God is teaching to Jonah. Why are you so worked up about this stuff? Okay, so you know what? That's the end of the story. Like Jonah 4 ends right there. Jonah, what about all these people and these cattle? The end. What do we do with that? Like, I like a story with some closure, so I want to just offer this up to you, and then we're gonna, I'm going to hopefully end on the note that this really needs to end on. I believe this. Do you think Jonah's heart ever changed? By the way, where do you think Jonah is right now? Where do you think Jonah is today? It's interesting to think about. I'll tell you, I believe Jonah's in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe someday we're going to shake his hand in heaven and be like, we had a whole four-week sermon series in church about you, man. And he'll just be like, oh, I know. Oh, man, I was so blind back then. Now I know who Jesus really is. I get it. I didn't get it then. 
I think Jonah, his heart ultimately changed. Here's why I say that. Remember early on we said who wrote Jonah? Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. There's things that he tells us about himself. He's honest about his life, probably so that we can learn the lessons God wanted us to learn. But be very clear about this. Jonah's not the hero of the story. Did you know that? I don't preach this message, by the way, to, to, to rag on Jonah. Like, that's also not the focus. Like, Jonah's a horrible person. Here's the truth, church. You ready for this? I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. The point of the story is not only to see ourselves in Jonah's life, but ultimately to see the God of salvation above the story. The whole point of the story of Jonah is not that Jonah is the, the hero, but that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah 2 chapter... Or, Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 says salvation belongs to the Lord. The whole point of the story of Jonah is that it points forward to the coming Messiah, the greater Jonah. And unlike Jonah, Jesus would come to this earth not with the heart wanting to see his enemies destroyed. Jesus did not come to this earth and sit off the edge of a city and pray for God to rain down fire and brimstone on the city. Jesus actually wept over the city of Jerusalem. His heart broke for the lost people, religious people, in Jerusalem. Jesus did not come to this earth with a prayer that the Father would destroy his enemies. But remember what Jesus said as he's hanging from the cross that his creation had nailed him to. What was the cry of Jesus to the Father? Father, what? Forgive them, for they, don't, they know not what they do. So one last scripture. I want to take us to the New Testament and end on this. We, I showed you this in the very first week of the series where we said Jesus is the greater Jonah. I want to come full circle back to that and, and then ask you a few powerful questions. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. Here's what's happening. Is the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were kind of question, questioning and badgering Jesus like they so often did. And, and here's what they said. Verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher... We wish to see a sign from you. We're not going to believe you unless you do a little dance for us, unless you jump through our hoops. Okay? Watch what he says. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet who? Jonah. So if you've ever asked the question, Did this Jonah story really happen? Like, was that real? Well, Jesus thought it did. Jesus is giving credibility to the story of Jonah right here. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah. I think I put this on your notes. I can't remember if I did, but I, there should be some bullet points at the very bottom of your handout. Let me just run through these kind of briefly. And I love when you see in the Old Testament, you see it fulfilled in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. Here's an example. Jonah only cared for his nation, but Jesus cares for all nations. Jonah ran from Nineveh, from Nineveh but Jesus ran from heaven to earth. Jonah went to Nineveh unwillingly, but Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah had a heart of anger, but Jesus has a heart of love. Jonah refused to dwell with the Ninevites, but Jesus chooses to dwell with sinners. Isn't that an amazing thought? Jonah got out of there as quick as he could and went up on the hillside to watch it rain. Jesus chose to come and walk with and spend time with and be in relationship with broken, 
needy people like you and me. Jonah waited for his enemies to be punished, but Jesus was punished for his enemies. Jonah spent three days in a fish. Jesus spent three days in a grave. Jonah sat up in a high place on a little throne, right? This is Jonah. By the way, some of, some of us today are sitting on the little thrones of our lives as well. Telling God what we expect of him, what we want him to do for us, and he's basically saying, you know, I kind of had this the other way around in my mind. I'm kind of on my throne, and I thought I was the one that got the right to tell you what to do. Jonah sat up in a high place on a little throne, but Jesus is high and exalted on a great throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So church, here's the deal. As we bring this series to a conclusion, we've spent the last four weeks examining Jonah's life, but now I want to ask you to examine your life. Here's my question for you. Let's put Jonah aside and let's talk about you and me for a moment. What has God spoken to you? In what way are you running from the word of the Lord in your life? Am I speaking to a Christian here today that God is pursuing you? He's spoken to you and you're like resisting that. You're running from that. What has God spoken to you and where or how have you been running from the word of God in your life? I'd ask you to think about this as you look back over your story up to this point. Can you see how God has been faithfully pursuing you? Man, I can. I can look back over my story and I can see times where I veered hard off of the path that God had and I can yet look and see his faithfulness where he put people in my path, circumstances, plans that didn't work out, prayers that didn't get answered necessarily, where God worked to bring me back where he wanted me to be. Can you look back over your life and see God faithfully pursuing you? We serve a personal God that wants a personal relationship with you. And and I guess I would just bring this whole series to a conclusion today simply by asking this. What is the next step that God is calling you to take? Maybe there's someone in the Rescue Church this weekend in one of our locations. Maybe you're watching online. That right now, at this moment, you're pretty certain you don't even have a relationship with this Jesus we speak of. I believe the next step for you, the, the, the step that God is calling you to take today is to believe in him. To call upon his name for the forgiveness of your sin, the salvation of your soul. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name in heaven or on earth by which man must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Have you entered into that personal relationship with him where you've surrendered and said, Jesus, I I need you. I'm a broken, sinful person that's hardwired to rebel and do my own thing, and yet you are almighty God, and you have the right to tell me how to live my life. Have you entered into that salvation relationship and church i know this on a sunday morning as i look out at our faithful sunday morning crowd i know i'm speaking to many christ followers today that would say yes john i've done that i've made that decision for christ here's my question are you following him so you know him as your lord and savior that's great are you growing in your relationship with him and what step of obedience step of faith what risk might he be asking you to take what 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 level of forgiveness is he calling you? Maybe it's a decision to restore a relationship. I don't know. But I believe he's speaking in this moment to his people. And my challenge to you is, what are you going to do with it? Jonah's life serves as an example that we can choose to run and disobey. And even then, God is faithful and he'll pursue. Or we can choose to surrender our heart to his sovereignty and his holiness and say, Lord, lead me. Show me what you want. I'll obey. I'll follow. I want to challenge you 
to, to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in your life today. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for giving us the story of Jonah, not to be critical of his life, Lord, but to examine it and learn the lessons that you would have us to learn. Really, at the end of the day, that's wisdom. When we don't have to learn the hard way by making the same mistakes and suffering the same consequences, but when we apply the hard things others have gone through to our lives, Lord, that's wisdom. And I pray that your wisdom would just rule and reign in this place today and in our hearts. I, I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here today that has never called upon your name for salvation, that today would be the day that they stop running. And instead, they surrender to you and invite you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, for those of us who do know you, I pray that today would continue to be a day of surrender, that, that we bow before you and say, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you guide, wherever you lead, I will speak for you on your behalf. I will live for you, and I'll go where you send me. Whatever that next step is that you're calling us to in this place, God, I pray that you would just give us clarity and conviction and then the power from your Holy Spirit to live it out. Lord, help our hearts to be in step with you. Help us not to hold on to racist thoughts or a religious spirit, Lord, but help us instead to be yielded to you. Where we get angry about the right things, Lord, and where we get happy and glad about the things that make your heart happy and glad. And certainly when we see broken, needy, sinful people responding to the offer of salvation, Lord, that makes your heart glad. I pray that you would cause us just to be hungry for that in this church, that we would never get to that place of a religious people that looks down our nose at lost and broken souls, but that we would recognize, but for the grace of God, there go I. And that we are just as in need of your grace and mercy and forgiveness. And your love for us is just as available to every other soul in this community, across this nation, and around the world. And that we would be hungry to see hearts and lives reconciled to you, Lord Jesus. God, we worship you. We love you today. I pray as we move into this time of prayer as a church family that you would just move powerfully in our hearts. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.